In the holy name of Jesus, amen. How do you define something that is wise or foolish? It really all seems relative today. There are those of you who would look at certain things and say, that's a wise decision, while others would look at you and say, that's a foolish decision. It really is all subjective. A few years ago, I was invited over to South Sudan to teach at a Lutheran seminary with a bunch of pastors and evangelists in southern Sudan. A lot of these pastors were in small little churches, and they were former Muslims who had converted to Christianity, and they were working amongst, amongst a bunch of people who were Muslims who had come down to the Christian south. I was teaching pastoral practice, and one of the things that came up amongst those pastors was the problem of polygamy. Polygamy was very rampant in Muslim countries and still is today. And many of these people in these Lutheran churches who had converted to Christianity were still in polygamy relationships. I looked at these men and I said, I don't know how to solve this problem, this issue. We don't see the issue of polygamy really in the United States. And we wrestled with all of this, and I kept thinking in my mind, is this a wise or foolish sort of decision that these men have made? And yet, in the midst of all of this, I looked at them and said, I really don't know how we can come up with a simple answer. Polygamy just doesn't make sense to me. And these pastors looked at me and said, we understand that. Just like we don't understand why you allow to kill your unborn children in your country. We can't comprehend that. That seems like foolishness because life in that country was so fragile. Almost every night we heard some woman crying in the village because her infant had died. How do you define something wise or foolish? What's the difference? The fools get distracted, they make quick decisions, and oftentimes they lead themselves to their own destruction. The wise ones keep their eye on the goal. They are patient, they aren't quick to respond, they take things as they come, and they don't change. This is a difficult parable to interpret today, but it must be taken in context of the whole story where Jesus is talking about the end of all things. Today is the last Sunday of the church year. We focus on the end, which is not really the end, but the beginning of all things, the renewing of all things. Normally, though, when we talk about the end times, just as we talked about last week, we think about Jesus coming along and saying, boo, and scaring the pants off of us. We think of horrifying and scary things burning and blood and antichrists and earthquakes and fire and the shaking of the seas. All that sort of stuff is related to the end. But here's the deal. If you focus on those things, then yes, it will be terrifying. Look at today. The fools got shut out and excluded Jesus tells a few more stories here showing how things will be. The very next parable is the parable of the talents. 
There's a guy who's afraid of the master. He assumes that the master is harsh and unforgiving, and he himself gets kicked out. Last Sunday, we heard about the judgment of the sheep and the goats, those who were focused so hard on their own accomplishments, making sure that they were doing absolutely everything right, to the T, absolutely perfection, they were the ones who were sent away. And instead, the ones who might not have done as much, might not have been so much the perfectionists, they are the ones who are simply loved and they are drawn near to Christ. The ones who are afraid of the harsh judgment received harsh judgment. So what does Jesus want us to think on the last day? Has Jesus simply given us a reason to be afraid of him? Is he really seem so harsh? Is this how you view the scriptures? If it is, you're looking at them wrong. If you want to start giving me proof texts, go for it. Find some things that will make you respond of being really afraid of him. In a few short weeks, we're going to celebrate Jesus coming as a child, a baby, a little bambino in diapers relying on his mother and father. We're going to hear about an epiphany, God, Jesus, learning. We're going to hear about later on Jesus saying that the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We are going to look at Jesus as one who eats with all sorts of nasty people. The religious clergy, the Pharisees, who are all about themselves, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes. You have the God who liberates you from the slavery of sin, from the darkness. You have a God who weeps at the tomb and then raises the dead. So why are you afraid of him? Why are you afraid of his judgment? Find those, to those parts that tell you something that you should do. And yeah, if that's how you want to read it, be afraid. But there are a few in there, believe it or not. There are those Christians who think that our littlest ones can't have faith. They shouldn't be baptized. They shouldn't receive the light of Christ. There are those who call themselves Christians who make a bunch of money off the word of God. There are those Christians who believe that they are saved by what they do. A recent poll showed that well over 60% of Christians think that. They trust in themselves. They think that they are righteous. They should be afraid for they shut themselves out. They are the foolish ones. So where do you and I fit? Are you wise or foolish? I've been foolish. You've been foolish. We fit in both. We've all trusted ourselves above God. We've all withheld God's mercy and forgiveness from others. Even though his mercy and forgiveness is not ours alone to give out. We've all looked at mercy and forgiveness as something that those have to somehow earn and prove in their repentance. I've looked at others this way, and so have you, and that is foolish. All of us from time to time don't care to listen to God's word when Jesus talks of love, but we certainly perk up and respond when Jesus speaks of punishment. 
So much of Christianity today is not about Jesus' kingdom brought to you, his love brought down to you by his cross, his resurrection, by being baptized into his death and resurrection, or even coming to this feast of his body and blood for forgiveness and strength. Christianity in modern America is about this. Jesus loves you, now try harder. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus loves you, now what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do for him? That's what so many people like to focus on. So yes, if saying that your children, even infants, can't have faith, and keeping them away from Jesus in the waters of baptism is your stick, be afraid. If you're trying to profit from Jesus' free gift of his word and his grace, you should be very afraid. If you're holding a grudge, if you're holding angst and anger, if you are withholding forgiveness and mercy from those who confess their faults, then yes, you should be very afraid because you have no right to lay sole claim to Jesus' blood-bought forgiveness and mercy. We love because he first loves us. If you and I have trusted yourself more than God, then be very, very afraid because you will never be good enough or holy enough on your own. Jesus, who calms the storms, who heals the sick, who raises the dead, will return. And if there's something that you think that you can buy him off for or make him happy, then you're in trouble. He doesn't want anything that you have other than your sins. He looks at your sin, your shame, and your guilt, and he says, I want it. I want all of it. You can't have it. There is nothing you can do to make him pleased with you. Way to go, pastor. Way to preach the law, hellfire, and brimstone. Maybe folks will wake up. Maybe our community will wake up. Maybe people around us will see it. But here's the thing in all of this. By your baptism, by the light of Christ in and with you, God is already happy with you. You have been brought to the feast. You have been seated at the table. You've been baptized, given his light that the darkness cannot overcome. You've been forgiven and fed all by Jesus. Yes, he wants you to know that he is coming and that all things will be made new. The broken will be healed. The dead will be raised, never to die again. All of the former things, the busted and broken things of this world will pass away. The wolf and the lamb will lie down together in a world without enemies or death. A world of nothing but joy. That's what's coming. This is what Jesus said, though, has already been brought amongst us as well. As this world begins to break and break apart, Jesus' kingdom breaks through already. And you can see it by faith because you've been invited to his feast. The true message today is don't get distracted. All of this stuff that we see now the various types of pneumonia, the vaccinations, the tensions of war rising up, the election results, the unrest. It's all a bunch of distractions from what really matters, 
from what really endures, Jesus, his light, and his love. It's fine to take interest in the things of the world, but at some point they become idols and distractions, and they're problematic because you and I only have room for one God. There will be false prophets who continue to multiply and turn against you and the church out of fear and hate. And so, as we hear from Scripture, love will grow cold these days, just like it is this morning. It didn't like it. But when love grows cold, anger and anxiety swell. When Jesus' love in you grows cold, Anger, resentment, and anxiety swell. Just think, the ten virgins had been chosen to be at the wedding. They were all clothed for the event. All of them were given directions, and all of them were there, but they got distracted. They all fell asleep. And then when they heard that he was coming, they were afraid, afraid of his harsh judgment. And they ran off to get something to make him happy. Fools! Foolishness, they got distracted. Rather than looking to the event of the wedding feast where the groom was coming, where the coming of the Lord, the one who redeems all, they looked to themselves. And all they could do was see five fools without oil in the lamps. When reality shows us they were all bridesmaids, they were all chosen and invited. They didn't trust him, and so they were foolish. They ran. The wise ones, they stayed. We're not told in this parable, but I can only think that there were other people there too, rejoicing in the presence of the Lord, who likewise had not run off, even though he was taking his sweet fancy time to get there. What do you consider wise and foolish? Do we think that Jesus' ushering in of his kingdom is taking too long? Does it seem like maybe he's forgotten you where you're at in life? Does it seem like he is taking way too much time or he is delayed? Do not get distracted. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, who is now seated at the right hand of the kingdom of God. You are the joy that he has set before him. You are the joy. You are the apple of his eye. You are the ones that he has laid down his life to forgive over and over again and to bring about the light of the world in you. Wise or foolish in our eyes, he knows what he's doing even if we don't. He is coming. He's coming soon to welcome you to his home and to his kingdom, which has no end. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>